Well, amen. It's been a great morning already. I'm a little concerned about preaching this morning. I'm afraid I'll wreck it. You know what I mean? It's like a wrecking ball coming in at the end of the service. But it's really not going to be that. I enjoyed outlining these messages uh, in Colorado, thinking through them, looking and asking the Lord in my own life, God, show me who is the most influential person in my life. I want to know who the most influential people are in my life so that I can either be responsible with them or I can shuck them to the side because I don't need to listen to them. Hallelujah, glory to God, amen. Come on, church, there's some people you don't need to listen to. There are some voices speaking in your ear that you need to say, man, I don't need to hear that. And then there are those that are speaking that we need to hear. And so how do we, how do we know? So I, I jumped into this series and started outlining, putting some things together, listening to other messages, reading some things. I've been reading John Maxwell a lot here lately. By the way, he doesn't write on this, but I read some other things, okay? that I included in this. And so, uh, but most importantly, reading Scripture to see what this looks like in Scripture. So the first week, we covered the most influential person in your life, most Christians say, is Jesus. It's Jesus. And I just love Jesus. And Jesus just, He ordains my steps. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. But come on. So the first week, I created a little tension just by saying, it's not Jesus. You may be Christian today, but very few Christians are really led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not after you. I'm just simply saying, if we're truthful about this, the most influential person in your life is you. The person that is looking back at you in the mirror is probably the most influential person. And here's why. Because you have the ability to say, yes, Lord, or not to that Lord. Or, Lord, you can work in this area of my life, but not in this area. I've got this area under control. Just control this mess over here, right? And so what happens is we as Christians kind of have this Christianity that is somewhat sporadic. All you have to do is just look at the the numbers. Barna Research states 40% of Christians don't believe that Satan is a real being. So they're being attacked, they're being beaten up, and they don't even believe in him. Watch this. 22% 22% believe that Jesus sinned. This is Barna Research, by the way. This isn't Curtis Research. 22% believe that Jesus sinned. So if you listen to the message last week, you'll find out why we need to move number two to number one. Because prior, and, and I apologize to some of you because of the podcast. It only contains the sermon. It doesn't have the first part of the sermon, which was communion. So all that kind of came together to form our message last week. And how to move number two, Jesus, to number one as Christians. That Jesus needs to be our number one influence for sure. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here's the truth. If you believe that Jesus sinned, you're not a Christian. That's tough. I know those are tough words, but there's only one unblemished lamb that was given for this world. And his name's Jesus. And he's sinless is what the scripture says. 38% don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a living entity. How can you be influenced? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And 40% of professing Christians don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a living entity. How are you going to be led in that situation or in the situations of life? Watch this, 29% of Christians say their faith has been helpful, but not transformational. And the scripture is all about transformation. 
right? It's not just about information, it's about transformation. 30%. That's amazing to me. Almost one-third of Christians say their faith has been helpful but not transformational. So here's, here's the deal. So we talked about, hey, the one that has control over this vessel right now, if, if you've not allowed God or the Holy Spirit to be in control over you, then here's the truth. You're in control over you. How's that going with you? And then the second week was moving number two, Jesus, to number one. You can listen to that message. I preached it last week. But today, we're going to have some fun. We're going to loosen up a little bit. I'm going to mess you up because it messed me up. But today I'm going to be talking about the third most influential person in your life, and that is your confidant. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be a close friend. But the third most influential person in your life is really your confidant. T.D. Jakes says it this way, right? The bishop himself. I wish I could preach like him. To be covered by God and walk in your destiny, you can't be limited to just working with people who look like you or think like you or vote like you or dress like you. You've got to get out of the box because God is going to use a lot of people to bless you to move in and out of your life. This is a coat of many colors. Don't categorize the blessing by colors. It's not the colors you need to watch. You need to watch out for their character. It's powerful. That's a true statement. Look, people come in and out of our life. Sometimes God allows that to happen so that we can become the people that he intended for us to be. There's a famous Dallas Cowboys coach years ago by the name of Tom Landry. Any of you remember Tom? Lord, bring him back. If you're going to raise anyone from the dead again. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But we know that the Cowboys are, are, are suffering and struggling. But Tom Landry said this. He said, I make men do what they don't want to do to become the men they want to be. And really, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to impart into us, that there are going to be people that come in and out of our lives. There was even a Judas on the team. But in some ways, Judas showed the other disciples, hey, this man's not fully connected. He's allowing Jesus to move with him and in him at his disclosure or in his ways. Instead of allowing Christ to be Lord over his life, he used Christ for his benefit. And that's dangerous. So today I want to talk to you about this third most influential person, about this confidant that each and every one of us needs to have in our life. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now, uh, I usually don't do this. But the translation I'm going to put up on screen for you today is uh, the New Living Translation or the Living Bible. Normally, I'm a New American Standard guy, but I did this so that we can better understand what's taking place here. There are two boys, basically, teenage boys that are running together by the name of David and Jonathan. Now, the Scripture tells us that they're so close, they're actually closer than brothers, that their souls are knit together. The problem is life is going to deal with them differently. And eventually, they're going to be on warring sides from one, one from another. So as you think on this, that's the future. As you think on this right now, what's taking place in Scripture is that David knows that he is anointed to one day be the king, king of Israel, right? But there's a situation, there's already a king, and his name is Saul. Saul's son is Jonathan. Now, Saul is very jealous of David, so basically what Saul wants to do is he would like to dispose of David, 
and not have that threat in his future. David realizes and recognizes this, and he has a very frank conversation with Saul's son, Jonathan, his closest friend and his closest ally. I would say it this way, his closest confidant. So here we go. We're going to jump in. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. David now fled from Naot in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done? He exclaimed. Why is your father so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. I'm sure he's not planning any such thing. For he always tells me everything he's going to do, even little things. And I know he wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Jonathan said, but the truth is that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me what I can do, Jonathan begged. Then David asked, how will I know whether or not your father is angry? Now skip a few verses there because they kind of go back and forth for just a moment. Verse 11 says this, come out of the field with me, Jonathan replied. Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord God of Israel that about this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father about you and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he is angry and wants you killed, then the Lord will kill me if I don't tell you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. So here's what Jonathan's saying. Hey, I, I, I promise you by, by the Lord, the Lord can strike me dead if I don't tell you the truth. Now this is interesting because he says this, the Lord used to be with my father. So he recognizes what's taking place at this time. And remember, you must demonstrate the love and kindness of the Lord, not only to me during my own lifetime, but also to my children after the Lord has destroyed all of your enemies. So he knows that David is what? The anointed one now. David is carrying the anointing. Now this is interesting to me because somewhere Jonathan has seen into the future to some degree. This is a foreshadowing because Jonathan is not going to make it through the battles. The last battle, Jonathan falls. And you'll have to see what David does. He remembers the promise that he made to Jonathan. So Jonathan made a covenant with the family of David, and David swore to it with a terrible curse against himself and his descendants, should he be unfaithful to his promise. But Jonathan made David swear to it again, this time by his love for him, for he loved him as much as he loved himself. This is how much love these two guys had for one another. These two are confidants. Even though life is going to deal them a different thing, a different way to go, so to speak. Different trials and tribulations, victory on one side, defeat on the other. They are still knitted together. God is going to do something great through both of them. And they loved one another. Then Jonathan said, yes, they will miss you tomorrow when your place at the table is empty. By the day after tomorrow, everyone will be asking about you. So, be at the hideout where you were before, over by the stone pile. I will come out and shoot three arrows in front of the pile as though I were shooting at a target. Then I'll send a lad to bring the arrows back. If you hear me tell him they're on this side, then you will know that all is well and there is no trouble. But if I tell him, go farther, the arrows are still ahead of you, then it means that you must leave immediately. And may the Lord make us keep our promises to each other for he has witnessed them. So David hid himself in the field. This is an incredible story about love, about love 
everlasting about a confidant who is so close they a confidant who is so close that they can speak one into another think about the word confidant for just a moment just think about that word it's confident in someone else it's understanding that they have my best interest in mind church i'm here to tell you today a lot of people don't Look, confidants are these people. These are the people in your life who are into you. They like you. They love you unconditionally. You can do anything and everything, but for some reason they continue to come around and say, I love you. I'm into you. I think early on in Allison and I's dating. Here we go, right? I got your attention now. Yeah. And so... So we're dating, and we go, we're, we're into it a couple of months, and all of a sudden, one night, I have a wrestling match, I felt like, with God, and I wrote some things down, Allison comes over, you've heard the story before, but it was real interesting, because uh, for a couple of weeks, we didn't talk, we didn't communicate, we kind of were doing our own things, and, and moving on with life, and, uh, um, but I, I was so into her, I don't know if you understand, you don't get it, do you? You're in love like that, I hope you have. But the truth is, is that I was so into her that, that I, I, I just had compassion for her. And, and a little bit later, God said, why do you think I revealed all that? I mean, she, she needs healing, and, and, and there are some, some areas in her life that I think you can really compliment. But most importantly, I really think she'd compliment your ministry. Duh. You hear her up here? Gee, she puts me on the goal line every week. If I don't score, it's on me. But if I don't score, this is what Allison does. I love you unconditionally. What can I do to make your life better? I'm into you. I'm for you. I know I can trust her. I know that she can trust me. I want our lives to end and end well, being one into the other. Look, they are the people who want to see you reach your destiny. They call the champion out in you. They are the Jonathans on the other side of the wall. And all of us need Jonathans on the other side of the wall. We need someone over there who will speak the truth to us and say, this is what's going on. And you can trust me. They are in your corner come hell or high water. They will tell you when you're wrong and they will celebrate when you're right. They stand with you. They pray for you. They encourage you. Look, they refuse to leave you in the foxhole when bullets are flying. Even if they're hit and they're wounded, they're not leaving. They're with you. Oftentimes, they'll even take the rounds for you. You see, folks, they love you. All of us need a Jonathan. All of us need a David. All of us need honesty and integrity. Someone out there who will truly speak to us the way we need to be spoken to. People who hear the Lord on behalf of us in order to encourage us and to lead us on, to keep us hooked up, right? Confidants are the most essential people for you to reach your destiny. We all need them. They are and should be the third most influential person in your life. The problem we have is very few, we have very few of them in a lifetime. I was trying to go back and read, and, and to study confident, you're not going to get confident, you're not going to get a whole lot of stuff, but if you'll study, you know, friendships, if you'll study longevity in friendships, if you'll go back and read some articles that have been written, what you'll find out is true friends, you have them, those closest to you, you'll have one to three. 
in a lifetime. Wow. And you're fortunate if you do. It's like a good dog. It's like that country and western song, right? You got one good horse and you got one good dog in a lifetime. I've had both the good horse and the good dog. Matter of fact, my good dog tried to run Allison off. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, quit that, right? She was a German Shepherd. She got a little jealous. It happens. But God wants us to have confidence in our life. Now, here's the problem with that. That's what statistics show out there, that you'll have one to three. Let me tell you what it ought to look like. It ought to look like the body of Christ, and we ought to be able to trust one with another. As we grow and as we mature, then we should be able to trust. We should be able to love. We should be able to grasp. We should be able to bear one, another, uh, one another's burdens as Christ has commanded us to do. Here's a problem, though. Most of us don't know how to recognize a confidant. We confuse them with someone else. You've shared your dreams. You've shared your desires. You've shared your wants. You, you, you've shared your hurts. You've shar shared your misfortunes. Watch. With the wrong ones. And somewhere down the road, they've used, them against, they've used that against you. And you've been betrayed. You've been lied to. And here's the problem. It's because you didn't recognize them. In our culture today, we step on people in an attempt to get what and where we want to go. You have either stepped on someone or you have been stepped on. You've been lied about or you have lied about someone else. You've slandered or you have been slandered. You have used or you have been used. You have been Jesus or possibly you have been Judas. We all have the potential. All you have to do is go back and listen to the first sermon in this message series right we all have the potential to be jesus or judas in someone's life we have to recognize who the confidants are in our life see the tension here is recognition jesus reminds us not to throw our pearls before the swine meaning everyone is not trustworthy you don't need to share your dreams with just anyone and everyone I mean, even the next couple weeks, I'm going to cover two more types of people that are going to come into your life, watch, to help you reach your destiny. But they can't be trusted. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? It still just spins on its head. But I do feel like it's from the Lord. Because what he was showing me were these people types. I prayed, Lord, show me who are the most influential people in my life and help me to be responsible with them, however that looks. Whatever that looks like. Right? And this is what I can... And, and, and so here's two that you got to be... That you're going to hear about the next two weeks just to show you how difficult this can be as far as recognition. Constituents. They are not for you. They are simply what you are for. But they're not for you. Many confuse these with confidants and they share, them with their, they share with them their deepest desires or their dreams. Look, you risk all of this. Because these people can steal your dreams, and oftentimes they do. And you are left holding the bag. Constituents will walk with you, work and labor with you, but you better recognize it as simply, they're only coming along with you simply as long as they don't find someone else who can further their agenda. When they do, they're gone. So they walk with you, they sound good, they're getting tight with you, but look, it's because you guys have the same agenda, not because they're into you, much less do they love you. 
And then there are those who are comrades. <laughs> I like doing this. Uh, I tried every which way in the world to come up with different terms. And I couldn't. I heard T.D. Jakes say a couple of things about these. And that's where I got constituents and comrades. I just thought, man, that just fits. This is it. But this is what he says about comrades. They are against what you are against. They will only be with you until the victory is won. And both the constituents and comrades, they will leave you, but they are necessary for your life. Because they will help you hone in to those who really do care. They will also help chip off the rough edges, so to speak. You will also recognize through them, oftentimes, you will recognize through them that this battle isn't one worth fighting. And why am I on your team? Right? See, there was a Judas in the midst of the crowd. And Jesus said this, he said, but the one whose hand is in the cup with me. Now he didn't kick him out. For some reason, whatever it was, Judas was necessary. Right? We'll go over that more next week. But what we're looking for are the Jesuses in our lives. What about Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that he would be our confidant. If you don't have one, you have one. You hearing me? It's so important for us to see that this is what a Christian is supposed to be because we follow Christ and Christ said, greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friend, that he would give everything up so that you would succeed. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. So let me ask you this question this morning. Who would you do this for? Who would you lay your life down for this morning? Is there anyone out there? And let me ask it this way. Who would lay their life down for you? Is he out there? Is she out there? Right? Jesus wants us to grow in love for one another. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song around the campfire. It sounded like this. You ready? Just got to wake you up. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Come on, church, help me. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. Stop. <laughs> You're making me cry. You're killing me. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. Why do we pray that? Because in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that. I pray that they all may be one, knowing that there is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Knowing that confidants are going to be rare. Knowing that people who truly want Jesus to lead them and Jesus to be uh, who they're about possibly could be the narrow road. Everything looks good in the Christian way in America today. But it's not. There's still a narrow road within it. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is out sitting on the mountainside. And as he's sitting up there, he says some, some incredible things. This is a very famous sermon. This is a sermon on the mount. And he begins this way. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be 
satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear what I'm emphasizing, church? There is a they, there is a theirs. That means that God calls us together to be confidence one with another. It's what he's looking for. It's the plurality of the body of Christ. We were never intended to walk through the trials or the blessings of life alone. Jesus wants the body of Christ to be in it together. We need to be trustworthy, loving, caring, and most importantly, confidants one with another. And one for another. So once again, the question comes up, who are your confidants? And who can you be a confidant for well they oughta or you oughta or I oughta show this first characteristic consistency and guys you won't read this in a book I didn't pull this from a book but I believe they ought to be consistent Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this a friend loves at all times a friend loves a true friend is going to love you they're going to be into you they're going to care for you they love at all times. Who is that person for you? And who are you that person to? And why is it just one? Can it be the body of Christ? Should we not seek that out? Now, false friends. <laughs> oh, I put in here example. Grandmother. Let me tell you about my grandmother. Holy Ghost filled woman. I mean, sometimes we go over to her house and she just have a worship service. She start praying in tongues and I try to wake her up and say, hey, uh, grandmother. I mean, we're English here, right? I don't get it. What are you saying? You know, and then she'd teach us scripturally, and it, and it was awesome. We, she's just an awesome woman of the Lord. But she had this plate on her bathroom wall, and this is what it said. It said, true friends are like diamonds. They're precious but rare. False friends are like autumn leaves found everywhere. And that has stuck with me for years. I, I mean, I read it many times. True friends are like diamonds they're precious but rare false friends are like autumn leaves found everywhere right so so here's consistency we need to be consistent in our love one for another in order to be a confidant right there are those who are for what you are for as long as they can further their own cause recognize them love them and try to encourage and move them along in their walk to show them a different way but you be consistent in who you are. Remember, the number one influencer in your life should be Jesus, number two. But sometimes we got to say, number one is me. And if I can count on Christ and if I will pray and I'll seek Christ out, this is what he'll help me do. Love others to a place where they too can trust me. I will be consistent in that. The second thing is sincerity. Proverbs 27 6 says this faithful are the wounds of a friend that doesn't sound good because when a friend causes you a wound causes you uh, a time to cry causes you pain when a friend pulls out their sword and says well I got you you need to bleed that out that's that's cancer really sometimes what a friend's doing is just recognizing the cancerous cell there and saying this is going to hurt for a minute but I'm going to get that out so that you can be whole and you can live in health so that our friendship can be stronger than ever. Sincerity. Who are those sincere friends in your life? Who are you a sincere friend with? 
See, they will, they will possess an open, honest, and sincere love for you. They have your respect, and they can even correct you if necessary. You know, there may be areas where they are smarter than you, and you don't like to admit that. Ugh. I don't even like saying it. Just teasing. Come on, guys, lighten up. Right? You know, you will know that what they say is true because it's going to pierce something in your spirit. They will lead you further than you can lead yourself. Here's why. Because they are into you. Because they care. If I don't care about you, I'm not going to tell you how to do it better. I'm like, oh, dude, man, you messed that up. Let's just leave it there, right? If I care for you, see, these are the people that will seek God on your behalf. Proverbs 27, 17 goes on to say this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sincerity. Who are those sincere people in your life that truly are into you? And the third one's easy. It's compassion. We should be compassionate one for another. I guarantee you, you are compassionate for your true friends. And they are compassionate for you. They care for you. They care about your well-being. Because naturally, they, they follow Christ. And Christ is a compassionate God. As a matter of fact, how many times the Scripture said, and He felt compassion for them? Jesus says it time and time again. Or the scripture says it about Jesus time and time again, that he felt compassion for them. Who are you compassionate about? Who's compassionate for you? 2 Samuel 9, 7. Watch this. This, God, this is good. Man, thank you, Lord. David said to him, this is David. Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. This is what David did. After Jonathan was killed, and he set up his place of reigning, all this stuff was going on. He said, look, I made a promise years ago to my closest friend. He's been killed in battle as the enemy. But I want you to go over there, and I want you to find any living relatives that he has, and I want you to bring them to this place because they are welcome at my table. Compassion. And this is what he says. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And will restore to you all, all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you shall eat at my table regularly. They found Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was killed, like I said, in the war against David. But David remembered Jonathan's request to take care of my descendants. And he showed compassion even after Jonathan had died. He remembered his promise to him. And it made a difference to his family and to the descendants. So church, if we had to end today, this is what I would say. Who is your confident, confidant and who are you their confidant? Who is your confidant? Help me, Lord. Right? Look, I want you to take just a moment. If you didn't get a bulletin, take something out of the chair or take a piece of paper here's what I'd like for you to do this week call your confidant <laughs> thank you appreciate that <laughs> that's fine put it in your phone right but write their names either on the back of your bulletin or whatever I want you to call them and let them know I've got your back I'm in your corner. You can count on me. 
Look, will you thank God for them? Can you just pray for them and start there? This is the third most influential person in your life is your confidant. Look, next week we're going to cover the constituents and the comrades. And you will find they are necessary, but they will leave you. Don't worry about the people that God takes. Start praising Him for the people that He sent. To be in your corner. Your confidants, right? Now it's time for you to be someone's confidant. Who can that be for you? It's time for us to grow up and be there one for another. Would you please stand? This morning, I'm going to ask the altar team to make the way forward. If you need prayer for anything, because I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have a confidant, you have one that ought to be on that list, and that's Jesus. <laughs> He's in your corner. He loves you. But you may need prayer, and you may need to say, hey, you know what? I don't know that I haven't stepped on people all my life. I haven't, I haven't tried to attain a goal that, that I didn't care who was in my way. I was going to reach that goal. I was going to be there. And you may need to repent for that today. Even myself. It may be that, that that's what needs to happen, but maybe this is what needs to happen this morning. Maybe you could come forward. And maybe you could say, I know where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in our midst, and I want to pray for my confidence right here, right now, and I want you to stand in the gap with me. I have close friends that... Um, it can be from marriage. It can be uh, family problems. It can be, golly, twice this week, children being diagnosed with critical diseases. We need to stand in the gap, and people need to know they can count on us.